Would you please stand? Psalm 23. <clears throat> Get to myself. <clears throat> the word of God, let us hear it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. Please be seated. Let us pray together. Our Father, we come before your throne again. We thank you for all the prayers that have gone up. We trust you would answer us in your beauty. Now, Father, we come to your precious word. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We ask again for the tongue of the learned so that we would speak truth concerning the king on his throne. Now come, O our Father, O sweet and blessed Spirit, Encourage us this evening and strengthen us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Having the living God as one's actual, continual, and personal shepherd is a joy out of this world. A privilege that one will only realize fully when he is in glory. To know that all that is needed is found in and provided by the shepherd stirs the heart with such confidence that the sheep will lack nothing. Because of the self-sufficiency of the shepherd, because of the self-sustainability of the shepherd, because of the intimacy of the shepherd, because of the sensitivity of the shepherd, and because of the creativity of the shepherd, the sheep will be well cared for. It's all wrapped up in who the shepherd is. However, however, sometimes the shepherd permits the sheep to journey through some interesting places. Sometimes it is in areas where the sheep have never gone before. But what a joy and delight it is when the sheep is on the mountaintop. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a life with no challenges? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't it be great to have a problem-free church? 
Wouldn't that be great? How about a problem-free family? Just, I think, last week or the week before, I heard from two pastors. One with a crisis in the family, another one with a crisis in the church. It would be great, wouldn't it, to have a, 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 just a, a problem-free life. How is it that people who once love, express love to one another, prayed with one another, helped one another, talked with one another, stopped talking to one another? How is that? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a trouble-free life? I would argue that it would not be wonderful. So that's a crazy statement. I know it is. It sounds crazy, but I'm sticking to the statement. If we never had challenges, we would never grow. Never. We would never know God to be the God of comfort until we are in uncomfortable situations. Never. We would never know God to be a prayer answering God unless needs and wants were pressed upon us. Never. Be good to read the Bible all day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No, it would not be. That would mean you're not doing half or 80% of what God told you to do. Yes, unless God press needs and wants upon us, we would not know him to be a prayer answering God. I'm not talking about when we praise God or we are praising God for who he is and thanking him for what he has done or what he will do. I'm talking about praying to God. Our prayers consist of needs and wants. That's what you pray for all the time. Not just adoration. Thanksgiving, but needs and wants. We just heard it this evening. You were praying for needs and wants. That's what you were doing. You said, God, save this one. That's a want. (laughs) Help me, Lord. I am sick or whatever the situation may be. You pray for needs and wants. where our prayers are generally are. And I'm not saying that these things are bad. We should pray about what we want as well as what we need. My point is that I would not know God and you would not know God to be a prayer answering God unless God laid upon us those needs and those wants so that we would pray them to him. I don't like what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyhow. Part of healthy making decisions is poor making decisions. Did you hear what I just said? (laughs) Part of healthy making decisions is poor making decisions. 
Why would I say that? It's because we learn from them, or at least we should. Making good, healthy decisions is hard. I'm a slow decision maker. Ask my wife. <laughs> Drives her crazy sometimes. I don't like making bad decisions. I don't like making poor decisions. Sometimes it takes days, weeks. She said, remember what I asked you? I said, I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> making good decisions is hard because you have to live with the decisions you make. So we should, we should have challenges in life. We should have difficult decisions in life because they make us grow. At least they should. So please don't go out here tonight and say, Brother Clarence said, you know, we should pray for difficulties and we should pray for challenges. That's not what I'm saying. I'll let you know right now. I'm not praying for you on that matter. (laughs) I'm not praying for challenges and I'm not praying for difficult situations. But they are unavoidable in life. I'm telling you they are beneficial to our Christian walk and our Christian pilgrimage. In life's twists and turns, the believer has to sometimes travel through dark valleys. So we take up again the theme of the shepherd as protector, part two. We have that just one thought again, the shepherd as protector, based on verse four. I just read that verse again. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. David's shepherd has fed him well. He has granted him rest, comfort, security, and stability. He has led him to that which is beneficial and not detrimental. I'm talking about the still, quiet waters. He has been refreshed by the shepherd, rejuvenated by the shepherd, and revived by the shepherd. He has also been led and guided in the right path for his shepherd's namesake. However, when we get to verse 4, we find that a transition seemed to have taken place. David is no longer in plush pastures. He is no longer at the stream of still waters. He tells us that he is in a dark valley. The valley of the shadow of death. Last week we said that place, the valley itself, is a place of danger. It's a place where you could be gripped by fear. It is a place where you have predators and enemies because of the lack of light in the valley and various places to hide. One did not know what he may encounter in the valley. It was a treacherous place. But I think there's a fundamental question we have to ask. How did the sheep end up in the valley in the first place? How how did that happen? He's in the valley. He told us the beauty of the plushness in verse 2. 
the Lord leading the shepherd, leading in verse 2. He's being restored in verse 3, and he's being led in the right path in verse 3b. How did he end up in the valley? I think that's a good question to ask. Maybe I should just say it a little bit this way. If the area in which he resided was plush and good, what prompted the leave? Put another way, if the waters were still and quiet, what would be the purpose of moving elsewhere? What would be the purpose? Is it the fact that he had drifted from the fold. Could that be it? Could it be that he's drifted from the fold? Sheep, as I've mentioned before, are prone to wander, prone to drift, prone to go astray. And maybe, maybe he got in the valley because he drifted from the paths of righteousness. Maybe that's how he got in the valley. Remember verse 3 stated that the shepherd led him in right paths. He had him on the right track. And he did it for his namesake. Did he deviate from the shepherd's path? That's how he got in the valley of the shadow of death or darkness. Is it the tragic scene with Bathsheba? Is that it? Clarence, you're reading in the text. I'm not trying to read into the text. I'm just asking a question. Could it be? Could it be when he stole another man's wife? Could that be the valley? Could that be how he got in the way of darkness? Could it, could it be the murdering, the setting up of Uriah? Could that be the situation? He alluding to that? David was on the mountaintop, remember? God blessed his going out and his coming in. He was successful until you get to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Could that be it? Could it be that the, the, the grass seemed much greener on the other side? Just asking some questions. It's better, maybe it seemed better than what the shepherd had to offer. Or was it? Did he think that things would be far better if he got from under the shepherd for a little bit? God's commandments just so rigid, man, they're too tough, too hard. Is that it? Maybe he was fleeing from Saul in the cave of Adullam. Maybe that's the valley. Maybe he thought because he had made it to certain heights, he did not need the shepherd as much as he did before. Maybe that's it. Wasn't that the situation with King Isaiah? You remember him? That king that reigned 52 long years, 
We find the case in 1 Chronicles chapter 26. Let me read a little bit out to you. And King Isaiah became king, actually, at age 16 after the death of his father Amaziah. He reigned, I said, 52 long years. Listen to this. And he did that was right in the sight of the Lord. Did you hear that? He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Oh, I always got to pause, man. I get chills when I read that. God made him to prosper. I think God is more willing to do for us than we are for God to do for us. And he went forth and warred against the Philistines and break down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabney and the wall of Ashdod and built cities about Ashdod among the Philistines. And listen, and God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians that dwelt in Gubal and the Mahunims. And the Ammonites gave gifts to Isaiah, and his name spread abroad even to the entering in of Egypt, for he was strengthened, or he strengthened himself exceedingly. Moreover, Isaiah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate, and the turning of the wall and fortified them. Also, he built towers in the desert and dig many wells, for he had much cattle, both in the low country and in the plains. Husbandmen also in vendresses in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved husbandry. Moreover, Isaiah had an host of fighting men. We can go on and on, and we will. He had a host of fighting men that went out to war by bands according to the number of their account by the hand of Jael, the scribe of Meaziah, the ruler, under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. The whole number of the chief of the fathers of mighty men of valor were 2,600, and under their hand was an army 300,000, 7,500 that made war with the mighty that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Isaiah prepared for them throughout all the hosts, shields and spears and helmets and habergeons and bows and slings to cast stones. And he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped. And four words follow. Till he was strong. Till he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. His heart was lifted up. That's bad enough. But listen to what comes next. To his destruction. The Lord helped him. The Lord caused him to prosper. He was at the mountaintop. But he comes to a place where he doesn't need God anymore. How about you? For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense. I don't have to listen to what God said. I'm going to do it my way. 
He went inside the temple to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him with fourscore, eighty priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord. Then Uzziah was wroth, angry. And had a sense in his hand to burn incense. I don't care what you say. And while he was rough with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord. From beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him, the same one who helped him. And Isaiah the king was a leper unto the day of his death and dwelt in a several house, or separate house, being a leper, listen to these words, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Jotham his son was king over the house, judging the people of the land. Get on the mountaintop, I don't need God anymore. I'm okay. Is that what happened in Psalm 23? Brothers and sisters, we don't ever want to get to the place where we think we don't need God anymore. We don't ever want to get to that place. That's a dangerous place to be. We see that it can happen. So did David stray from the fold? Therefore ended up in the dark valley. That's the question on the table. On the other hand, did he end up in the valley because the shepherd led him there? I think that fits the context. Why would you say that? Because... God can lead us in some strange situations. That's why I said it. God can lead us in strange areas. Think of Joseph for a moment. <laughs> you remember Joseph? You remember Joseph, do you? Bible readers, you remember Joseph? After revealing himself to his brothers... Who did him wrong, he said, and God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me, Psalm 40, I mean Genesis 45, but God. Joseph was in Egypt, but how did he get there? The pit, then Potiphar's house then the prison, and then the palace. When Joseph was in the pit, you think he was thinking, God is sending me there. When he was in Potiphar's house, was he thinking, God is sending me to preserve you? He was not thinking that. Strange situation, strange circumstances. (sighs) 
Let me just read what he said one more time. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. He did not see this picture when he was in the pit. He did not see this picture when he was in Potiphar's house. He did not see this picture when he was in prison. Oh, he saw the picture when he was in the palace, (laughs) when he saw his family. He saw the picture when he was made prime minister in Egypt. Oh, it's like what my friend J.L. Savage taught me. He said, son, you live life forward, but you understand it backwards. He looked back, and I see the picture now. I didn't see it before, but I can see it now. He understood it. He understood that God was directing the whole thing. But he didn't see the end because we don't see the end from the beginning. (sighs) He realized that God is behind the whole thing. (laughs) That God had set him up beautifully. (laughs) God does that sometimes. It's a great setup. God doesn't have to explain himself. He doesn't have to explain himself at all. He just does what he does. He didn't say, Joseph, here's what I'm going to do. Now, your brother's going to be a little jealous of you. And I want you to go, as your father told you, and they're going to drop you in the pit. You're going to be okay with that? Sure, I'll be okay with that. That's not how it happened. And then you're going to go down to Potiphar's house, and that crazy wife that he has, she's going to try you, Joseph. Now, I want you to know, when you run out the house, you're going to jail. That's all right with you? Of course. That's not how it happened. Not only that, when you go to jail, listen, you're going to interpret some dreams. The butler and the baker, and when they get out there, are going to forget about you. You going to be okay with that? Sure. No, that's not how it happened. Who wants to be in jail, especially if you're innocent? Listen, guilty people don't want to be in jail. When he was in Pharaoh's palace, you think he'd just say, I want to be here? Joseph missed home. And he didn't know if he was going to see his family again. You remember, they didn't have Apple. You know, you can pull out your iPhone and text your dad and say, Dad, you still alive? You can do that. When he was in Egypt, he was stuck in Egypt. I'm going to give you a wife too, Joseph. Oh, that's not what I'm looking for, but I'll take it. No, he didn't see the picture until afterwards. God had set him up beautifully. Strange situation. Let me tell you something. Sometimes God doesn't work on the situation. He works on you in the situation. That's just what he does. He leads us sometimes in strange places. Remember Jesus Christ himself was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Remember that? The Son of God himself by the Spirit of God himself. Strange places. Yet our Savior came out victorious. That's what God does at times. I think David, 
sees that the shepherd led me on the right path. And this is part of the right path, the valley of darkness. Notice something else, verse 4. The shepherd who led him, as we said last time, is also the shepherd who is with him. <laughs> Remember what we said? The first three verses, David talks about the shepherd. But when we get to verse 4, David talks to the shepherd. Verses 1 through 3, the shepherd is before him, leading Verse 4, the shepherd is with him. The shepherd is with him. Beloved, let me say this to you. Just because you do not see the shepherd, so to speak, in front of you, that's not, that does not mean he's not with you. The fact that he's walking with the shepherd, listen, the fact that he's walking with the shepherd. Listen to verse 4 again. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. The fact that he's walking with the shepherd through the valley of the shadow of death or shadow of darkness indicates that he's not there to stay. He's not in the valley to stay. I'm walking through the valley. I'm not stopping in the valley. I'm going through the valley, not around the valley, but through. But I'm not by myself. It is a passing through. This is not the parking place or his resting place. He is on a journey, and that journey is with the shepherd. And that journey will not stop in the valley. There's something else on the other side of the darkness. He's not in the valley, as I said, I'm going to say it again. He's not in the valley by himself. There is an unseen hand, but a very real presence. <laughs> Man, I don't, I don't know any other way to put this. <laughs> he can't see the shepherd, but he knows the shepherd is present. A real presence It's the presence of the great Jehovah. He lets us see sunshiny days, but he also lets us see dark days. I think it's these dark days where we see our impotency and his sufficiency. <laughs> it's in the dark days. Dark days, listen, being in the valley... Make you pray like you never prayed before. <laughs> Being in the valley makes you appreciate things you didn't really appreciate before. Just like when you're sick, sickness causes you to appreciate health. It's real. It's the presence of the great Jehovah. We experience the greatness of the shepherd in the valley. The nearness of the shepherd in the valley, the comfort of the shepherd in the valley, the power of the shepherd in the valley, the love of the shepherd during our valley days. Experience these things from the shepherd. Love's sweeter, seems like, when you're in the valley. 
you appreciate what you had when you're in the valley. Not only is the shepherd with him in the valley, notice something else. The shepherd protects him in the valley. It's right there. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. What is it to fear when you have the shepherd? <laughs> when he's all sufficient. What is it to fear when you have the one who has all power? I think sometimes we act like God doesn't possess all power. Well, we act like the devil has all power. What is it to fear when the shepherd is nearby? It's like the little boy walking to school. All these bullies out, but he's walking confidently. He's walking without fear. And the bullies just scatter. You know why? Because someone's walking with him. He has a brother. He's 6'11", 300 pounds. Everyone scatters. He's not confident in himself. He's confident because <laughs> I got a giant help <laughs> and a big brother. The very presence, let me say it this way, the very presence of the shepherd is the assurance that our enemies will be taken care of. His presence. Comfort he brings with rod and staff guarantees this. I said before, the rod was used to fend off predators, even count the sheep, to even kill if necessary. Staff, draw the sheep back in, guide the sheep in the way. See, the valley is where we are chiseled. Chiseling takes place in the valley. Shaping, molding, can we just say the potter's wheel in the valley? Working on things that just don't look good. <laughs> Working on things that we don't actually need. Working on character, if you will. Making us more like Jesus Christ in the valley. That's what happens in the valley. The valley is where the wool is sheared. <laughs> the wool comes off in the valley. The valley is where we realize afresh that we need the full protection of the shepherd. It's in the valley. Remember, sheep, no defense mechanism other than the shepherd. That's all the sheep has is the shepherd as its protector and that's what the shepherd does. You can't see everything going on in the valley, but I'm confident. You know why? I don't need to see everything that's going on in the valley. I have the shepherd. And because I have the shepherd, I can walk through the valley. The question was asked long ago. Who among you that feareth the Lord? Listen to the language that obeyeth the voice of his servant that walketh in darkness and hath no light. That was the question. Here's the answer. 
Let him trust in the name of the Lord. And stay upon his God. I love the word stay. Oh, English word. It means to depend on. Lean upon. That what you're leaning upon will support you. Stay upon his God. We have a shepherd. We have a shepherd that fills heaven and earth. A shepherd. A real shepherd. We have a shepherd that's immovable. We have a shepherd that cannot be defeated. We have a shepherd that has all power. He's a city of refuge, a shelter from the storm, a rock in a weary land, a bridge across troubled water. I'm talking about the shepherd. Why do we fear if we got such a shepherd? Not only is this shepherd given protection, we talk about this next time. The shepherd also makes preparation in the valley. <laughs> what a shepherd. Let me put this thought before you. If we are going to have the same response as the psalmist, I'll fear no evil. We must have the same shepherd as the psalmist. Are you still with me? <laughs> if we are going to have the same response in the valley as the psalmist, we have to have the same shepherd. You must have the great Jehovah the great Jehovah, he's the one that framed the world and set you in it. You owe it to him. You owe it to your creator who gave you your mind, your energy, your talents, your everything to trust him. You owe it to him. Not only does he, not only does he have his glory in view, in making you, but he also has your good in view. Did you know that? It's a win-win situation. God's glory, your good. What else could you ask for? I mean, what else can you ask for? Why not trust the living God? I can tell you why. Because we major in stupidity and minor in insanity. That's why. We're messed up. You have an obligation to depend on him, follow him, lean on him, love him, obey him, and trust your eternal well-being with him. You have an obligation to do that. If you want to trust him, then tell me, please, whom will you trust? I'd like to know. If not God, then who? If not the great shepherd, tell me, whom will you trust? I'm going to trust myself. <laughs> How many times have you failed you? You don't have to pull out your book and tell me how many times. It's more than you can count. That's not a safe place of trust. The word of God says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. May I just put that in a different language for you? That's trusting you. Proverbs 28, 26. 
God said, only food does such a thing. You and I owe it to our creator to trust him. Not only is he's the creator, not only is he the creator, but he's also the shepherd. Listen, he's also the shepherd. Furthermore, he is the only shepherd that became a sheep. Okay, Brother Jason, I'm trying to be as simple as possible. He is the only shepherd that has become a sheep. Remember in the Old Testament, the sheep would die for the shepherd, but there's a change. In the New Testament, the shepherd would die for the sheep. He's the only one that became a sheep. This shepherd became flesh and walked among human beings. He ate with them. He healed them. He sang with them. He sympathized with them. He talked with them. He touched them. He worshiped with them. The shepherd did that or did those things. He even qualified himself as the good shepherd who goes before the sheep so that they would follow him for they know his voice. This shepherd sheep May I put it that way? Or sheep, shepherd, however you want to do it. This shepherd sheep would be hated by human beings. I just told you he walked among human beings. He worshiped with human beings. But he would also be hated by human beings. He would be insulted by human beings. He would be lied on by human beings. He would be beaten by human beings. He would be led to the slaughter by human beings. He would be nailed to an old rugged cross by human beings. The shepherd who has his glory in view and their good in view. Why would such a thing even happen? First, because the father planned it. That's why it would happen. The father from all eternity planned it. Planned that the shepherd would come. Planned that the shepherd would live among men. Planned that the shepherd would be slaughtered. Secondly, it's because of the hatred of men. We see it everywhere. We even lived it ourselves. The hatred of man is everywhere. I know you don't think that the war that's going on in Ukraine is because they love each other. You don't think that way, do you? <laughs> it's always a battle in this world. We live in a sinful world. And I think sometimes we think we live in glory. This is not heaven. I have to tell my children all the time when they say, Daddy, why is this? Why are they doing this? I said, well, let's go back to that big word depravity. It's everywhere. If you never picked up the Bible, so I don't believe all that God stuff, you can't deny depravity. It's everywhere. Why, why does human beings or why do human beings do what they do? The world knows something's wrong with mankind. It knows it. Just has the wrong solution. But there's no denial that something's wrong. Gravity is everywhere. It's man's hatred 
Thirdly, not only did the father plan it, and not only because of man's hatred, they would slaughter the shepherd out of hatred. Didn't you hate him at one point? Third is because the shepherd became a sheep so that he could die in the place of the sheep. It would become a time. It would come a time. Oh, it would be a time of the greatest transaction ever in human history. The sheep dying for the sheep. The shepherd becoming a sheep so that he could die for the sheep. The greatest transaction in history. Tell you what I'm talking about in a moment. All of his right doings apply to them. <laughs> All of their wrongdoings apply to him. What a transaction. Their sins would be all covered and their guilt would be all gone by the shepherd. Sheep. The shepherd not only died, but rose again from the dead with all power. Through his death, they receive life, and through his resurrection life, their life is sustained by the shepherd. What can I say else to this? So what does that have to do with anything? It's everything to do with it. If we are going to respond like David, we have to have the same shepherd. Have to. No other shepherd will do. It has to be this shepherd or no shepherd. The great Jehovah is also the great Jesus. The good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. The bishop of our souls. He is the lovely one, the perfect one, the righteous one. And he is with his sheep, not just on the mountaintop, as David told us. He leads, he guides, he provides, but he's also in the valley. Why? Because the shepherd is everywhere. <laughs> the shepherd is omnipresent. He is seated in majesty. He is, abs- he is now actively, he is actively tending to his sheep. He's seated in majesty, interceding for them continually, saving them intentionally, caring for them daily, coming for them in glory, and loving them endlessly. That's what the shepherd is doing. Shepherd loves his sheep, and he's going to guide them, even if they have to go through rough terrain. He's going to lead them all the way because he is the shepherd. He knows what we need, when we need it, and how to get it to us. He knows what we need for our growth. He knows what we need for our maturity. He knows what we need to make us more like himself. So sometimes he take you through difficult places. Joseph was in a difficult place, but Joseph came out a better man. His end was better than the beginning. And Joseph, as we said, preserved, preserved because God sent him to preserve Israel in order to preserve Judah so he could save Jesus, send Jesus so that he can save me. 
What a preservation. You need to highlight that in your Bible. When you see Joseph saying, God sent me before you. He said, that's my salvation right there. Without that preservation, there's no Jesus. Though there may be days of darkness, though there may be days of darkness, days in the valley, may we all be able to say like the psalmist, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We have nothing to fear. God will provide for us, dear people, in the valley. Just like he provides for us on the mountaintop. When God shut up the heavens in Israel for three and a half years, dried up everything except a little water hole. You remember that water hole? Kireth. That's where Elijah went to. So go by the brook, Kireth. I'm going to sustain you right there. You find the first, first King chapter 17. I'm going to sustain you right there. And not only am I going to sustain you with this water supply. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. I've already put in the order from the Raven's Cafe. Yes, yes, from the Raven's Cafe, Meals on Wings. I'm going to give you a couple of meals a day. I don't know where the meat came from. Maybe it came off of Ahab's grill. I have no idea. <laughs> maybe when the, when, the, when the waiters was going to feed Ahab and Jezebel, maybe the ravens just took the meat and the bread off of there. But I, Elijah didn't ask where the food actually came from. Where did you get it from? He know if the ravens brought it, it was ordered from heaven. God provides for his people everywhere and and in some unusual ways whether on the mountaintop or in the valley our great Jehovah will provide for us over and over and over and over again he did it for the children of Israel in the wilderness when he brought water out of a rock I wonder if we believe these stories or we just think they're interesting but not real. Water out of a rock. You don't get water out of a rock. He had no tapping tool, no equipment, no anything, yet he brought water out of a rock in the desert where you don't get water. He provides mountaintop or in the valley. He's taking care of his sheep. Well, may God help us Strengthen us and keep us as we, Lord willing, next week will look again at the shepherd as the preparer. He prepares a table right in the valley among the enemies, and they get to see it. Boy, that's fascinating. <laughs> they get to see it, but they can't do anything about it. Why? Because that shepherd is provider as well as protector. May God help us to walk with him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you again for this evening. We thank you for all things. What a great God we have. What a great shepherd we have. What a great redeemer we have. What a great savior we have. Lord, you have given us 
everything that we need to walk with you. Help us to do so. Oh, Father, may we not reach the mountaintop and think we don't need you anymore. Father, may we not even get in the valley and think you're not there. God, please, please show us your power. Make your presence known. May we know something of your nearness. And Father, may we walk in this great confidence, being able to say like the psalmist, I will fear no danger, no evil. Help us, we pray. Thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Amen. God be with you till we meet again.